some of you might remember me sharing about Seamus O'Neill. He was uh, unemployed. He lived in Dublin, and he was unemployed for a long time and desperately needed a job. And so he, was, he had an interview, and he was headed to the interview, and uh, he, was, he couldn't find parking. Dublin's notorious for bad parking, and he couldn't find parking. And so he uh, finally looks up to the Lord. Uh, you know, he's driving, and he finally looks up, and he says, Lord, I need your help. You know how much I need the job? If you give me a parking spot, a grand parking spot that will get me there on time, I promise you, I'll put down the Irish whiskey. I'll never have another drop. He comes around the corner, and right there in front of the building where he's having the interview, someone's pulling out in pole position, like the best spot. So he looks up and he says, Never mind, God. I found one. Thanks. <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny. When it comes to God moving in our life, sometimes it's very easy to see God if we're looking to see God, or we can see it as not God if we don't want to see God. Isn't that how it works? There's this moment for John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist, Jesus says, was the greatest man to ever live. The most righteous man to ever live is what Jesus says. It's a pretty big thing to have said about you, you know. And uh, yet John's in prison at this point. And remember, when er, in the early years, he's the first one who cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lo I mean, talk about a prophet. He says to about his cousin, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How in the world did he know that other than God told him? Profound prophecy, you know. And yet later on, he's in prison and ultimately he's going to lose his head in this prison. And uh, he's starting to get a little shaky. Everything he's seen, he has questions now. I would say, and I don't want to speak too far, but I would say that at this moment, John's faith might be wavering a little bit. And it's difficult. And it's good to know that even the strongest, most righteous man to ever live, his faith wavered too. And here he is in the difficult moment where he's in prison and he has questions and he has doubts. And we'll see how that happens. So Matthew chapter 11, 2 to 6 is our text. Matthew 11, 2 to 6. And uh, I'm going to give you the day off from standing. Matthew 11, 2-6. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, so he had just heard about everything that Jesus was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? This is interesting, because here we have John, who is the one who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who declared it. But now he's actually asking, Are you the one who's to come? What's also interesting is he's actually hearing about everything that's going on with Jesus. But what's the problem in all of this is he's probably also hearing about how this has kind of become a sore for some people. And this is a stage in where Jesus, as he's rising to fame, so to speak, this is also where things get difficult. This is the place in Jesus' ministry where he starts to have some real opposition as well. I think John begins to hear about this opposition. John himself is in a very difficult spot after having given his whole life to this ministry. And he's, but he's hearing and, and, and about all that Jesus is doing, but now he has a question. 
and his faith is waning and he's not sure. Are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? Verse 4, Jesus answered them, the disciples of John that is. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. Notice he doesn't answer the question. Jesus rarely answers the way we would expect him to answer. All he says is, you guys, John's friends, go back and tell him. Look around. What do you hear right now? Listen. And what do you see? And go back and tell him that. Go back and tell him. And then he does help them out by telling him what it is they should be seeing and what it is they should be hearing. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And then he ends with this awesome line. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Because Jesus recognizes that in this moment, as he is coming into his own, as he's coming into his calling, as God is revealing himself in the person of Jesus, this is the moment where the signs are increasing. All the signs that Jesus is the Messiah are exploding and increasing. But as that increases, that means that there will be many, many people who don't actually want to submit to a Savior or submit to God. So therefore, there's going to be more opposition. And if you want to see the opposition, and if you want to see Jesus discredited, in this moment, it'll be easy to see Jesus discredited because there will be all sorts of people who are working actively to discredit him. And if it was just kind of like playful, uh, you know, reading the signs around us, it might not be that big of a deal. Huh, look at how this is lining up, or look at how that's lining up. But now that Jesus is commanding authority, now the critics come out, and they're saying, that's junk, that's not, what about this? And what about this technicality in Scripture? Or what about this? And all the, everybody comes out to discredit who doesn't want to submit to God. But if the heart is desiring God, and desiring someone to lead, then you look around and you can say, man, Isaiah 61 said that he has been anointed to, to bring good news to the poor. And that's exactly what's happening right now. And that's a sign of a fulfilled prophecy. He knew, Jesus knew, that John's heart was in the right place in general, that he desired God. And he also knew about John, that he knew the scriptures to a degree. And so he could just say, hey, go back and tell John everything you see. And if you come back and bring that news, he's going to remember what he knows about Isaiah 61 and all the other messianic prophecies that proclaim what the Messiah is going to look like. And he's going to be able to say, yep, that's him. And which will allow him to go to his grave in joy, knowing that God is working. What's interesting is when it comes to hearing the voice of God, you know, there's those same people. We know that there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were looking at the exact same signs, but they couldn't see the signs, right? They just had no ability to hear God's voice or to see it because spiritual blindness or spiritual deafness when it comes to uh, the voice of God is a state of the heart. It's not, that's not just a skill that's developed. Skills are important. The skills of hearing God are important, but much more important is the state of the heart. And this is what we've said when, in, in the first sermon in this series, we said we have to tune our spirits to be in tune with God. 
and that we have to be willing to activate our imagination and engage the mission with God. And when we get into that space and we desire God and, and we have faith for him, then we begin to see. But notice that John the Baptist, what was happening was, did, was there less signs at this moment? No, there was actually increased signs. There was more signs, but John had a harder time seeing them. Why did John have a harder time seeing them? Well, I think the stakes were higher, and he knew that his head was on the line, literally. And so faith, to believe that those signs meant that this is Jesus, he, it took more faith. And when our faith decreases, it's harder to see God all around us. And it's harder to hear his voice. It's not that God has spoken any less. He's all over the place. He's everywhere. The only thing that wanes is not God. It's not his voice. The only thing that wanes is my faith. And Jesus talks about, the Lord talks about in the Old Testament, he talks about a days when there will be famines of the word of the Lord. When young men will wander from sea to sea, yearning for the word of God, and they won't receive it. And why is that? Is it because God's not speaking? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. He's everywhere. It's when a generation doesn't have faith to see God, they no longer have the words of God because they're not present with God. And so they begin to miss it. And that's what's happening is that Jesus is reminding these guys about what it takes to hear from the Lord. And um, there is, however, a, a few things that are important for us to know when it comes to us as a, as a nation and as a church and as a people right now hearing from God, you know, throughout the history of the church, uh, in, the, in the last 2,000 years of the church, most people who were followers of Jesus didn't have one of these right here, right? Most people didn't have one of these. And so if they wanted to have time with God in the morning, they didn't have the amazing privilege that we have of rolling out of bed and reaching over on the bedstand and grabbing the Word of God in print where we can read it. This is a spectacular privilege, an amazing privilege that the average person in our nation right now could have as many of these things in any room of their house that they want. And anytime they want, the very revealed words of God, you can just reach over and grab it and open it up, and God is speaking out of this book. What a spectacular gift we've been given. But most of the church, throughout the history of the church, hasn't had that opportunity. They haven't had the ability to read the Bible when they get up, so their devotional time, anytime that they want to hear from God, there may be some priests who have some access to the Word of God that's written in some other language that gets interpreted and spoken to them on a Sunday morning, and then they try to meditate on it throughout the week. There may be some who have memorized certain portions of Scripture as a child, as they've gone through catechism, and as they've gone through uh, the education of the Bible, and so they can try to meditate on the verses that they remember in their minds. But most of them cannot just open up that Bible and read it. And there's many people throughout the globe right now who are strong believers in Jesus who are completely illiterate or have no access to the Word of God. We are immensely privileged, but there's something that happens in a culture where we're so accustomed to having the Bible there. And you know what happens is, is that not only is this the most foundational and black and white way that God has spoken, but it's also in many ways the easiest way to access God in our, because we access them in our mind. And when God says to love him with our heart, that's our spirit, and our soul, our mind, 
and then also our strength, you know, we, we have this ability to read the Bible and then to reason, to use our logic to understand what this is saying, and then how do those principles apply to my life? That's an awesome way to hear from God, you know? But when we're very accustomed to hearing from God that way, there's other ways that start to feel a little bit weird because we haven't exercised those muscles. So throughout the history of the church, if someone wanted God to guide them and direct them, but they didn't have the Bible, what would they do when they woke up in the morning if they couldn't read their Bible? What could they do? They could pray, right? And if they wanted God to communicate to them and they didn't have the Bible, how would he lead them? They'd have to listen in prayer. Prayer wasn't just this. It was also this, right? And so they had to learn to listen with their hearts and listen with their spirits, which is why there's passages that say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know, they, and people had to develop the ability to move with God. This is why Paul says in, to the church, he says, keep in step with the spirit. He certainly commands everyone to keep in line with the word of God, but he also tells them to keep in step with the spirit, which means there's a general understanding that the spirit of God is moving and that we can listen to him and that we can move with him. My sheep know my voice. That wasn't just about the fact that my sheep can read the Bible. It was also about the fact that there's a living relationship with Jesus that happens and that we have to be in tune with him. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know this to be true. You know that in your heart, God leads you and that there's more than than just the Bible, um, that the Bible creates the foundation and it's the filter and it gives us the education. And we are privileged among all because we have the Bible. But God, for those who are illiterate, for those who didn't have the Bible, God still led them. And he led them through his spirit. In our culture, again, I think that we've atrophied our muscles of listening in prayer because we have a Bible and we have principles and it's much more, it, it's easy. It's just kind of black and white. And I, we're a little bit deceived on that level to assume that when we read the Bible that anything that we think in reading the Bible is true. I mean, I, obviously there needs to be a filter about it, was this just my thought in interpreting the Bible or did God actually lead me in that? And so, you know, there's those moments where I'm like, I have a big decision to make in my life and I say, God, I need you to lead me so I can go and I can close my eyes and open up the scripture and point and say, God, are you going to speak to me? You know, and, and he may actually do that. Some of you have had a moment where he's met you just that way, you know. Uh, in, the, in general, the Bible, the, the first thing that the Bible is, is it's a, it's a book. It's God's book. And so it reads like a book and it tells us a story. And the more we use the Bible as the story, the more we understand who God is. But the word of God's also alive and active. And that's not just the Bible that's alive and active, although it is. But it's the word of God, the word that became flesh, the word that was in the beginning and is with us here now and dwells among us richly. And so that means that here in this moment, that as I'm communicating, as God is using me as a communicator right now to do something that he talks about in the scripture, that hopefully if our spirits and our hearts are in tune, that we can actually hear God communicating to each of us uniquely and individually. That that's the hope and that's the desire. And that in any moment of my life, I can actually hear from God. Now, there are misunderstandings that have happened when we've kind of grown further away from that. Now, the whole thing of like, if someone has a vision or if someone hears a word from God, we deal with that a little bit different in our culture now. Because it, I, I think it was kind of standard practice back in the day to assume that there was spiritual communication. It didn't mean that all the spiritual communication was God. You had to sort through the voices, so to speak. 
but people were in tune with the spiritual world. That was just kind of a natural thing that people believed that there was a spiritual world. In our uh, growing atheist or secular humanist society, there's a real question about the idea of spirituality. You know, all across Hollywood, everything is about spiritual stuff. You know, like every movie, every, there's so much spiritual stuff. But that's because there's a drought inside of our culture of a true belief in the spiritual world. And so it's all made in like a fantasy way to satisfy that deep desire. But before, it used to be kind of commonplace to assume that there was spiritual communication. Now, if someone says, God told me or God spoke to me, we can either dismiss that as like, whatever, or we, we can glorify it and be like, God spoke to you? When it should be normal practice that like every day our Savior is leading us. Or we can kind of demonize it and say, like, that's evil, you know? Like, don't go there because that's an uncontrollable world. But God actually yearns for us as his kids to hear his voice. That's what he makes clear in the scripture. And he wants us to be able to see him wherever we are and whatever's going on. He yearns for us to see him. So uh, this is why in uh, Colossians 4, 2, one of my favorite verses, um, there's only, and, and if you were here for the Ancient Future Practices series um, out of Acts 2.42, You'll remember that we talked about this word. There's this word um, in Acts 2.42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And that word devoted is the word that's used in Colossians 4.2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There's only one other time in the whole New Testament that that word devote is used as a command toward the church, where we're told to devote ourselves to something. Devotion means wholeheartedly give yourself to a singular course of action. That means that this is all I'm about. When I talk about this word devotion, the, the, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, and if you're a hunter, well, let's say, if you have interest in hunting, uh, you might watch a hunting show if you have interest in hunting. If you want to be active in hunting, you might buy a gun. You know, uh, If you're invested in hunting, you might buy some significant gear. If you are committed to hunting, then you're going to make sure it's in your calendar and you're free on the first day of hunting season and all of that. But none of that is what devoted is talking about. The word devoted means that when everyone looks at you, they say, he's a hunter. That that's like what identifies this person. That's what the word hunter or devoted actually means. It means that you are, that's who you are in identity. You're wholeheartedly given to a singular course of action. Your budget, your, uh, your vacation time, your family revolves, everything kind of revolves around this activity. That's what I'm about. And each of us, we have to be devoted to something. As worshipful, we're created as worshipful beings, and what we worship is what we're devoted to. And so what are we devoted to? Twice in the New Testament, we are commanded to be devoted to something. Romans 12, 12, and here in Colossians 4, 2. Both times, it says the same thing. Devote yourself to prayer. Prayer. Why? Because prayer is communication with the one we worship. It's the basic form of interaction with God. God is speaking, and he's everywhere. The question is, are we tuned? You know, or can we see the signs? Can we read the signs? Can we hear the voice? All of that has to do first if whether or not we are devoted to pursuing Christ. The more that we are devoted, and you can't really say the more we're devoted. It's kind of the more we're committed and do we get to the place where we're devoted. 
because devoted means wholeheartedly given. You can't be devoted to two things at once. You can be committed to two things at once, but you can't be devoted to two things. Devoted means I'm forsaking all others and going into this. Devotion to prayer means that what my life is, is the pursuit of God. And that's what it means to be devoted to prayer, that I am looking for God everywhere. I'm communicating with God about everything. It doesn't mean I'm always doing this with God, but it does mean that I'm always present with God and assuming that God is always present with me. And my life is about being in that sort of relationship with him. And that's what he calls us into. And that's why he says, my sheep, they know my voice. They know my voice. They're looking. They're listening. Now, if we're in that space and if we're uh, uh, growing in our awareness of God and desiring to see him and believing that he actually does reward those who earnestly seek him and that if we seek him with all our hearts, we'll find him. If that's the case for our life, then it shouldn't be weird for us to think that there are signs everywhere. That there's signs everywhere. God has signs for us. He has signs for us. When Jesus walked through the earth, he talked about signs all the time. You know, forsake not those little children that they come unto me. For such is the kingdom of God. They're a sign of the kingdom of God. These little kids are to us an image, an image, a sign, an indicator of what faith looks like in the kingdom of God. They take out the coin and they show them the coin and they say, hey, should we give this to God? Or should we give this to Caesar? And he looks at it and he's like, that's funny because, you know, this is kind of a picture of your life. (laughs) See that image of Caesar? Give it to him. Look at your life. Whose image are you created in? Whose image is on you? Give it to him. Give your life to him. Everywhere he looked, he saw a sign. He saw a vine and branches. And he said, that's just like your relationship with God. If you connect to the vine, if you connect to me, then you'll have fruit all over the place. Jesus saw a sign in everything because he believed that his father wasn't just the God of the scriptures, that he was the God of the universe. And that somehow the universe and the scriptures and my personal relationship and my prayer life, they're all integrated. And if I'm awake and alive, then I should see the overlap everywhere all the time. And that's what it means to walk in the signs of God. He's all about signs. When, G- when um, he sent out the apostles in Mark chapter 16, there's the, the end of the book of Mark. And he sends out the apostles on the Great Commission. And when he does... It says that he, they went out, and this is what it says, uh, Mark sixteen twenty. It says they went forth and preached everywhere, and while the Lord, uh, while the Lord worked with them, so they're going and preaching, and it says the Lord is working with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. So God is throwing signs out so that when they're speaking, it's not just them who is talking; it's also the signs that are accompanying. Josh was talking about Moses at the prayer time. And uh, he was talking about the sign of, you'll know that you're with me when you get to Mount Sinai. But there's a whole bunch of other signs that come before that that aren't for Moses. Who are they for? Who are the rest of the signs in that Exodus story for? Yeah, he, he says that I will put on display for all to see that I am God. And so what he does is he gives these signs... For everyone. This isn't to confirm in Moses' heart that God's doing this. This is to confirm in the whole world and for Pharaoh in particular. And there's this great moment, of course, where so like he comes to Pharaoh and here's a sign. I'll take my staff and I'll throw it on the ground. And what's what happens? Turns into a snake. Okay, so that's a sign that God's with him. Then what happens? The magicians do the same thing, right? Because they're trying to discredit the signs of God. 
And this is the wrestling match of our world. God is present and he's alive, but we're always wanting to discredit his voice if we don't want to submit to him. And this is a struggle in our hearts all the time. Is that there's part of us that wants to see God and wants to know him, but there's a whole other part of us that might not easily want to see him. So there's a wrestling match in our life about whether or not I'm actually going to see this as God. And so it's really nice for Pharaoh when his magicians can make that same thing happen because then he can discredit God. And he wants to discredit God. But then eventually it gets to the spot where his magicians are saying, we can't do this. And his magicians actually even say to Pharaoh, this is the hand of God. You have to submit. This is the hand of God. And Pharaoh, what happens to him? What does it say, the scriptures say, happens to him each day? Do you remember? After he sees the sign, he relents, and then he hardens his heart. Sometimes it says God hardened his heart. We won't get into that whole theological thing. And then other times it says that he hardened his heart. But with a hard heart, we can't see the signs. We can't hear the voice. It's the posture of our heart. Jesus comes with signs. Not only does he see the signs everywhere, but he comes with signs all over the place. And that's what John the Baptist is told about, again, is that there's these signs that accompany him. And for those who are watching and those who want to believe, they get to see the signs. Are signs a good thing? Signs are a great thing. Are we to seek signs? Ha, ha, ha. Actually, we're not really to seek signs. He says, a wicked and depraved generation seeks signs. That's what Jesus says. What is that about? If signs are a good thing, and God wants to communicate to us through signs, then why would it be a bad thing for me to seek signs? It doesn't make any sense. I've heard from a number of people who have moved from out of town into southeastern Pennsylvania, especially in the greater Philadelphia area, that one of the big complaints is about signs. Josh? Yeah, what do you not like about signs in Pennsylvania? I'm, they're not easy. They're not easy. That's it. That's what I always hear from people is, it's too late. I got the sign. This happens with my GPS sometimes where it tells me to turn and I'm in the wrong lane and I had to turn right there and it's like, what? You waited too long. It's the same thing that I hear from people who move into the area with signs. They say the signs in this area are not designed to help you out. They're designed to tell you that you did it wrong. <laughs> like, that's the whole point. And, and the, the thing is with signs is that, that is, speaking of which, I, I remember when Jen and I, we were talking about uh, uh, Seamus O'Neill in Dublin. Jen and I, when we were in Dublin, I was, this was uh, early on in our married life. We were over in Ireland and I was driving a stick shift on the other side of the road, on the other side of the car, and we're in a tight little town and it's impossible to find a road sign. Anywhere there is a road sign is on some building and it's kind of been so, it's so old that it's kind of blended in with the building and you can't find a sign. Well, that's what people say about signs here, that there, you have to actually really, really be looking for the signs in order to see it. You have to be looking. Well, this is the thing. The way it works with signs is that God doesn't want us looking for the signs. God wants us looking for Him. And if we look for Him with all of our heart, then we will see Him revealing Himself in signs. But if we're only looking for signs, dangerous, dangerous game to play. Dangerous game to play. This is why He says something to the Pharisees 
in Matthew chapter 16. You can look at it with me if you'd like. It's in verse 1 down to verse 4. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, both of them, this is, they're, they're bringing out the big guns, the people who hate each other are unifying against Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him again, of course, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Why do these guys want a sign from heaven? They didn't believe. And as a matter of fact, they, there's an arrogant moment. We know the posture of their heart is not toward God. And since Jesus knows their posture isn't toward him, he knows I could show you any sign and you're not going to turn because this is about an attitude problem, not about what's been confirmed. He answered them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know any other phrase like that? Red sky in the morning. Sailors take warning, red sky at night, sailors delight. And that's an old school phrase right there. That's, that goes back. And, and Jesus is saying, so then this is what he says. In light of that, he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you, not, you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Were there signs? Signs and wonders in abundance everywhere. And he's saying the problem is you can't interpret them. Then his response is, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. What's the sign of Jonah? What happened to Jonah? He died and three days later, or he went into the belly of the fish. Some debate whether he was dead or alive. Either way, he went into the the depth and came up three days later. Of course, this is what's going to happen with Jesus. And Jesus is like, you're going to have a hard time getting around that sign. There's going to be an empty tomb. It's going to change the world forever. You're going to, everyone's going to get that one, you know? I mean, it's undeniable. But other than that, you are not going to receive a sign. Why would Jesus stubbornly refuse to give them a sign? He doesn't stubbornly refuse to give them a sign. They stubbornly refuse to receive the signs that are everywhere. And he says, so you are a wicked and depraved generation if you were asking for a sign. Because the signs are everywhere, and if you're wicked, you're not seeing them, and you're asking for a sign. The only reason you're asking is because you're not seeing. The heavens declare the glory of God. There's a sign right above us. It's screaming out. If you're asking for a sign, you clearly haven't seen the ones that I've already given you, which means that you're not in a place of faith, which means that you can't see God. And this is what it is that Jesus is trying to to get them to see. Now, what is a sign? A sign is a token or an emblem or a gesture or a pattern or any sort of thing that distinguishes something. So there's this thing. If I want to say a word and I'm using sign language, I have a gesture that represents something else. And uh, if, if there's a turn that I'm supposed to make, there's a sign. This is kind of the weakest form of the word sign. Recently, sign has become like road signs. That's the weakest form of the word sign. But anytime there's something that we can see that indicates something else to us, that tells us that's, that's what a sign is. And all across the pages of Scripture, there is sign after sign after sign after sign. And when Jesus comes, if we know the Scriptures and we remember when 
Abraham had that sacrificial lamb for his son, Isaac. And if we know that when Moses was bringing the people out of Israel, there was that Passover lamb that they painted on the door, then when Jesus comes on Passover and gets hung on a cross, anybody who's watching knows without a shadow of a doubt, this is God. But almost no one could see it in the moment because they didn't have enough faith to see it. Because when their Savior was being nailed to a cross, they didn't have the imagination or the faith to believe in something that they hadn't seen yet. So they couldn't see Him as a sacrificial lamb who would rise from the dead. All they could do was say that their champion, their king, was being killed. They weren't remembering. They weren't remembering about the signs. And that's why Jesus says, you can't interpret the signs of the time. There's these men in Issachar, you remember the men of Issachar, who uh, in, in uh, the times of David, it says they knew how to interpret the signs of the times and they knew what Israel should do. Right now in our world, we have plenty of people who are very gifted at reading signs of the times, not necessarily in a spiritual way. So, uh, you know, Warren Buffett seems to be pretty good at reading economic signs, figuring out the patterns and how things work. Steve Jobs from Apple Computers, he seemed to be really good at reading the signs of, of consumerism and what people wanted and what they needed. Maybe Karl Rove or somebody in politics has the ability to kind of read the signs of what's happening in the political world and how to move within them. There was people in the Bible like that. They were advisors to kings, and they always seemed to know how things work and how to, how to advise the king. Who did that best in the Bible? Somebody said it. Daniel. Daniel was awesome at this. He could always read what was going on and understand it and then advise the king. So king after king, kingdom after kingdom still found Daniel. Even after a kingdom would be taken over, they found this guy Daniel and said, we're keeping you with us. Because he had the ability to read the times and see what was going on. Because signs have to do with repeating patterns and understanding how this works. Can that stuff go crazy? Absolutely. If you're seeking the sign and you're not seeking God, then it gets really weird quick. You get into whole numerology thing, people trying to predict when Jesus is coming back and it doesn't work out and you look a little silly, you know? All of that kind of thing can happen if we're seeking the sign instead of seeking God. But if we are seeking God, there's a spiritual version of those who can read the times. If you look at our world right now, there's so many. It doesn't take a genius to look at the signs of the times right now and say whatever economic cycle we're in, whatever social cycle we're in, whatever political cycle we're in, this isn't some pattern that happens every decade. This isn't even a pattern that happens every few decades. Whatever is shifting in our world right now is a cataclysmic shift. That we are on the brink of a moment. We are in the midst of a moment where culture is shifting. Things are changing. Our world is shaking. And Jesus says things about signs of the times. And remember when his apostles say, how will we know when you're coming back? And he says, there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars and there will be earthquakes and there will be these storms and there will be all this stuff. All of those things are signs, right? And he, and he talks about those signs. In Revelation, he gives all these different things about signs. And he says, those who have wisdom are going to be able to understand this and to see this. Like Daniel, when he heard those dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, and he knew what they meant. And Joseph, when he heard those dreams of Pharaoh, and he was like, oh, the cows mean years. And how many cows means how many years. And how did he know all of that? He was in tune with God. 
And he understood the principles of God. And he understood the scriptures. And then he's listening in a posture of what is God's desire. And he wants to know what God wants to say. And because of that, he trusts and believes that the God of the universe, the God of the dreams, the God of the scriptures can talk to me anytime, anyway, and he will speak to me. But I have to have ears to listen. Most of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have seen God's signs in your life. We had this series this Sunday, or this uh, summer. You remember when uh, we did the Freedom Series? And wh- when we were getting ready for the Freedom Series, um, we, were in, we, we also had a worship uh, Sunday coming up, and we're sitting in the worship planning team um, meeting over there in the library, and we're praying about, like, God, what would you have us do for worship planning? And we're talking about it. And we, we're first, we're just kind of brainstorming, and we weren't coming up with anything. And I said, you know what? Let's just go into a time of prayer and worship and just let God, like, just allow your imagination to go. Anything that, that brings to mind, let's talk about it afterwards. So we, we put on some worship music and we're sitting there worshiping together and praying. And Shelby says, at the end of our, our prayer time, she said, I had this, I, I was picturing, I don't know why I was picturing this, but I was picturing a balloon and the balloon had like weights on it. And, uh, and then we were cutting the weights off of it and then the balloon just soared, you know? And we're like, ah, that's what our worship Sunday's about. It's like, we got to cut the weight off and let ourselves float with the Lord. Well, that ended up framing the whole series of the Freedom Series was this idea of a balloon and letting go of the weights and that God was trying to pull the weights off of us so we could float with the wind of God and we could move with God. And what's burdening us, we got to let it go. I don't know how many people told me that throughout the summer, man, I saw a hot air balloon today. And God spoke to me and was telling me about stuff in my life that was holding me back. And he, was, and he was reminding me how awesome he is and how he wants me to float with him. Everyone else in the world who saw that balloon did not think it was a sign from God. But that person knew it was a sign from God. They knew it. And time and time again, we had a balloon land right out here in, in front of our church. And right on the balloon itself, what did it say? Yeah, do all for the glory of God. Do all for the glory of God, you know? And we're sitting there saying, like, God will just make our lives glorious if we cut the weights off and trust Him and flow it. And the uh, balloon lands right there. Any skeptic can easily say, you guys are cuckoo. And you're seeing signs of God in whatever. Feel free to say I'm cuckoo. Man, I got a living relationship with the God of the universe. Can he make the wind blow a certain way to bring a hot air balloon to sit here just to tell us something? Not only can he, he's doing it all over the place. And he loves to do it. And he laughs and he smiles. And he says, I got a relationship with my kids. You remember the time we've told you about when we're sitting here praying, Josh and I, about whether or not we should go on a building project. And a piece of... (laughs) We said, we're in the middle of praying, God, if you want it, knock this wall down. And a piece of stone comes off of this, ching, 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 ching. And we pick up this rock and we're like, are you kidding me? You know? And of course, in that moment, we can say, oh, that's not God. That's just whatever. It's coincidence. Of course it is, if we want it to be. Of course it is. See, we think that what is and what isn't is based on our logic because somehow we think our brains are smart enough to figure it all out or something. But what is and what isn't is what God said is. And what I understand is reality and what is not reality is based on how much faith I have. Now listen, 
Here's the danger, of course. If I go looking for signs, it's not going to go well. But if I go looking for God, it's going to go great. If I go looking for God, and what the difference is, is it means I'm actually looking for God to lead my life. That's why the last of this last series in this, uh, the last sermon in this series was going to be obeying the leading. That was going to be the last one, but God actually had us do a switch on that. But the reason is because of this. If I only seek signs, then I'm, I'm you remember that, that time in um, the Lion King, if you saw the Lion King, when the hyenas heard Mufasa's name, say Mufasa, and they go, oh, ooh, say it again, say it again. Because they get like the shivers when Mufasa, and, and some of us like to have spiritual experiences just because it's kind of cool, you know? Jesus isn't interested in entertaining us spiritually. He's interested in leading his children, leading his church. And if we're honestly seeking for him to lead us, then he will lead us. And when he does, we have to have faith to walk in it. Because what can happen is, God, speak to me, show me. And he shows us, and then we're like, I don't know if that was actually God or not. And that's just a lack of faith at that point. You know? If we don't have faith, then don't worry about seeking the sign. You know? But if we want God to speak to us, he says that he will. He says that he will. And God doesn't lie. He's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him and we will seek him and we will find him if we seek him with all our hearts. His sheep know his voice, you know? And he'll speak to us. And he'll do it in a unique way to each one of us. It's unique. Some people talk about the moments where they know that God's presence is with them because every time there's this weird moment in their life, this song comes on or this passage of scripture seems to come up or they see this animal. Have you ever heard that one? Maybe that's happened for you. I know some people, it's like, Every time God's communicating to me and I'm, and I'm like, whoa, man, I don't know if that's the Lord or not. This little cardinal comes and sits down or something like that. And I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. All I know is that when we're seeking God, he finds his own unique language with us. And that doesn't have to be weird or creepy. And anytime it contradicts the Bible, it's not God, <laughs> you know. But God wants to speak to us. And he loves to speak to us. And he's God of the universe. And, and, he's, and he's all over speaking to us. Now, um, as we're closing up here, uh, I just want to say um, about this voice series that uh, uh, the best way to grow in faith around this stuff is to track what it is that God's been doing. I, um, Boyd Curry, I didn't even ask him about this. I'm sure he's fine with it. <laughs> I know he is, actually. He told me he wanted to share at some point. Um, what's this thing? Anybody know what this is? That's a journal. If you were to look through this journal, if you do, man... Uh, if you were to look through this journal you would find all these moments that I write down about things that God has done and then like if a dream I had I don't know if it's from God I just write it down this experience I had with someone I write it down if I don't have time to write it down I'll voice record it and I'll do something and I'm tracking what it is that God's doing and then like a year later something happens and this passage comes up and this person says something and I'm like that reminds me of something and I go back and look Unbelievable. Unbelievable. If you can remember what God did for Abraham with his son Isaac, then you realize how awesome the sacrificial lamb is. If you don't track what it is that God's doing in your life, then you fail to see the power of the signs. There's two great ways to do it. One is writing it down, journaling. The other is talking with people, community, you know? We have a communal conversation. We share the stories. Many times, Jen will be the one who will remind me. I'll be saying, hey, 
uh, this was going on. And she'll be like, well, do you remember what happened back there? And I'll be like, I didn't remember. That's awesome. And then, and then we're, our faith is built by that. And that's part of what's supposed to happen around the voice of God in the community. So with that said, what I'd like you to do is next week, I want to have a little bit of time in the service potentially to share some stories. If any of you have really been sensing God stir in some special way, then, then I, I want to have a little time. I want you to email me or give me a phone call or leave me a message or something throughout the week. We won't be able to have time to have everyone share their story probably. But we can encourage each other with those stories. Ultimately, what we should be doing is we should be finding our friends and our little pocket of people inside the church where we're just constantly talking about what God's doing. And that kind of accountability is where the community is really effective. But every now and then, it's important in a worship service to share a couple of the stories and to testify. But the fact, God's moving. God's moving in my life. And it encourages the rest of us and says, I know. Rosa, I was at, and, um, talking. Rosa was doing some work on our website, setting up the, the sermons online. And she said, when I'm setting this, I love when I have to set the sermons up online because I end up listening to them by accident because I'm getting them all set. And she said, and I was listening to the one and it was telling me, uh, it, it was this time where you were talking about the stories of God leading you to do something and you had to step out in faith. And she said, I just sat there and started laughing because I started remembering all the times that God has told Juan Carlos and I to do things. And it was like, that's the same God. He did that to me too. And she said, it reminded me of all the stories. And that's what we do as a family is we encourage each other. God's present. He's alive. He wants to talk to us. Let's share the story. So um, throughout the week, if you have something that's kind of been a cool moment that's been happening with you or God's really been calling you into something, email me, leave me a voice message or whatever, and, um, and we'll see what we can do to share some of those stories on Sunday. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, being a, a communicator to us. Thank you that um, you are... not a God who just says stuff and walks away. Thank you that you're not a dad who just says, here's the rules, I'm leaving now. When I come back, they better all be in place. But you're a very present father, one who wants to continue to guide us. You seem to take great joy and delight in hiding gems all throughout our day for us to find. And God, we want to continue to grow in our faith and our ability to see those things. So increase our faith. We know it's not you who wanes, it's us. Increase our faith and increase the faith of us across the community here at Parker Ford and even across our nation, God. We want to see you more in the name of Jesus. Amen.